That one driven deep right field. Thank you, go. Gone for Morgan Chris. And Vincent Chamberlain. That ball. Going to the wall. Chamberlain the second for this first hit. Mounted second, going to third. With his first hit of the season. So, and the pitch. That one swung deep to left. And that one's gone! Savvy Seaman with a three-run shot. And the Warhawks take the lead. I'm gonna go with this is the intro. How we looking? Um, welcome to another. It's a little bit of a reasoning for that, and Bill will understand right. that. Um, so welcome to another episode of podcast on D Shot. So let's as Bill kind of gets set with things. Um, let's just kind of start. You're from Ohio originally, right, Bill? Yeah, yeah, Cincinnati, Ohio, as a matter of fact, and uh, grew up there and uh, played, you know, sports all through high school and a little bit into college and ended up, uh, you know, after a while, I kind of realized that uh, this business uh, was what I wanted to do. And I grew up um, listening to a radio station, WLW out of Cincinnati. And there was a guy named Bob Trump. He used to be a tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals. And he did sports talk there. And he did it for years and years and years. And while my other friends were, you know, interested in top 40 radio and pop radio and rock radio, I was listening to sports talk. So it was kind of like destined that this is what I wanted to do. Um, obviously, I, I'm guessing you grew up around those like really good Cincinnati Reds teams. Um, how much of kind of listen, you're, you were just talking about like how you listened to so much sports radio growing up and maybe just watching those teams. How did that kind of influence you into getting the radio? And then how did you kind of actually get in the radio? Well, I actually, um, you're right. I ended up, um, you know, paying attention to the 70, uh, 75 and 76 bid rag machine. We had Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, you can go through the whole list. And there was a guy, well, Al Michaels was actually their broadcaster in the early 70s. And I can barely kind of remember him. I remember the transition from him to Marty Brenneman. And then Marty Brenneman uh, became the uh, voice of the Reds for years and years and years. And then the voice of the Bengals was a guy named Phil Samp. And he was around a really long time. And I admired all of them. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was great growing up there. We had really good broadcasts. It taught me about how to not only be big time, but also to be hometown, uh, how to have a sound and how to have a personality. And I tried to emulate those guys even when I was a kid, going all the way back to like seventh and eighth grade. So I would actually call into sports talk shows continuously and try to get on the air and try to have an intelligent conversation and a reason as to why. And, and it was just something that always fascinated me. So when you know, you get hurt. You can't play football. You can't play baseball or anything like that anymore. You can't really run that much anymore. You figure, you know what, go into something safe. So I went into mass communications and broadcast journalism. And one thing led to another, and I got really, really lucky. And, uh, you know, my career kind of progressed along the way. But uh, it's, it's been a hell of a ride. It's been a lot of fun. And growing up in that area, which was a sports hotbed, because when where I grew up, not only was high school sports huge, but college sports were huge. We had Ohio State 100 miles away. Lexington was uh, 100 miles away for UK basketball. Uh, Ohio State basketball wasn't that big back then, so we didn't pay a ton of attention to it, but we still had Indiana basketball, Notre Dame basketball. My mom was a Jesuit, so we grew up watching Kelly Trapuca and Digger Phelps and such playing you know, basketball at Notre Dame. We had Xavier University uh, nearby, U University of Miami of Ohio. 
nearby, which is where Ben Roethlisberger went to. So we had a hotbed, plus Louisville basketball at Denny Crum. So we had a ton of college athletics in our area. So I just grew up inundated with sports. Um, I was going to randomly add Mount U- how big was like was Mount Union still successful at that point or Mount not- Union? Yeah, you you know you figure Mount Union uh, was an area. Also Ohio University, the Bobcats, uh, which today is really I mean their program has come along pretty well, but today is more known for being one of the biggest drinking schools in, in the country. Uh, there was Evansville because I remember the Evansville uh, airplane crash of the basketball team. Uh, so there was Evansville wasn't far away. So there was a lot of college sports we paid attention to in our area. Okay, um, favorite kind of Cincinnati area sports moment growing up? God, there's so many. Um, you know, I can remember uh, the first time I ran out of the tunnel at high school. I can remember there was a, a, a high school that we were the rival of that everybody knows Moeller High School. Uh, Moeller was huge. As a matter of fact, Jerry Fouts, Jerry Fouts was their head coach and left there to become the head coach at Notre Dame. Now, he failed at Notre Dame miserably. But he was an icon uh, when it came to coaching at Moeller High School. But Moeller was our big rival. And our stadium seats about 20,000. Um, and they've got, you know, a huge season ticket base. And I remember they had to bring in extra bleachers. We were we were 7-0 and Moeller was 7-0. and And they were going to face us at our place. And our stadium uh, was kind of like a mini Ohio State stadium. It was a concrete stadium, a horseshoe stadium. And like I said, sat about 20,000. I remember coming out of the tunnel and the place just erupted. We ended up getting the hell beat out of us in that game. But that was a cool experience. Um, You know, running out of the tunnel with the shoe, um, you know, when you're trying to make it as a walk-on, which was an incredible experience. Uh, And then the first time I got a chance to go into Riverfront Stadium and cover the game as a journalist which was really really cool sit in the press box uh get a chance to meet the guys that you had listened to over the years marty brenneman and joe nuxall which were icons and still are to this day icons in the cincinnati area if you just mention their name everybody's got a memory so all that kind of stuff really kind of harkens back the first game i ever covered was bobby knight and bob huggins going at it so that was an interesting evening with oscar robertson sitting next to me at the press table so that was my first broadcast uh, internship experience. So yeah, there's a lot of great memories in that city. Um, obviously, um, where did you kind of get your first start in radio? And then obviously over the years, you've gone from 620 to WSSP. So where was the start? Um, my start was at a little station called WRCR, which doesn't even exist anymore. It's in Rushville, Indiana. And I started out there and I was only hired to do about three months because uh, the morning guy was going to take off his wife was having a baby. He wanted to go to uh, the Indianapolis 500 in May in Indy, which is Carburation Month, getting ready for the Indianapolis 500. And that's when the 500 was really, really big before the split. So I had a chance to go there and work for about three months. Um, and that was my first gig, a little tiny town. Half of the people there were Amish. The biggest prize we ever gave away was a peanut buster parfait from Dairy Queen. So that was kind of cool. But uh, from there, I went back to Cincinnati. And I worked uh, at a television station there for a little bit. Uh, I did a radio station, a a morning show of a rock station in uh, Columbus, Ohio. I moved back to Cincinnati and I went to work for CNN for a short period of time doing some freelance stuff and some television uh, as a news reporter. And then I went back into Cincinnati where I ended up uh, becoming an evening jock at a country station. But the company that owned us was buying a sports station. And that's why they hired me to bring me in and to, to have me transition over to that. And once I did that, I really kind of never looked back. I went from there to WLW 
And I was at WLW for a couple of years, but the two guys who were doing sports talk ahead of me was Boomer Esiason, who is now at, in New York. And then obviously uh, Chris Collinsworth and Collinsworth's on Monday night football. So, or Sunday night football. So had I known then that those guys were leaving, I might not have been so quick to jump. But once the Packers called and WTMJ called, it was a great opportunity. I'm glad I did. I mean, I never looked back. So I went to TMJ and I was there for uh, 12 years and was lucky enough to be there when the team won the Super Bowl. And then from there, I went over and started my own company, my own network uh, at WSSP. And then we grew that network into 16, 17, 18 stations. And then I left there in January. And I sat out for maybe three weeks and then I ended up coming back. And now I've got my own network all over again, my own company all over again. And so we're sitting at, I think, 10 or 11 stations now and we're continuing to grow. So it's, it's, it's been interesting, but it's also reinventing yourself every time. Um, what motivated you to kind of do your own network sort of thing? Uh, the first time or this time? Uh, let's just go both. <laughs> the first time, um, well, it's, it wasn't really motivation. It was the fact that I had a disagreement with uh, one of the people in management at WTMJ. And uh, I thought I was worth more and he didn't. And so we parted ways. And I'm glad it was the best thing I ever did. Uh, to be honest with you, it was, it, it, you know, um, a friend of mine told me a long time ago, it's not the size of the stage that you're on, but it's what you do with the stage. And that holds true. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you're, if you're really good, people will notice. So I left TMJ and I left the Packers broadcast and I started at WSSP out of necessity. Um, and there was a guy there, a general manager at the time named Michael Keck and a, a salesman there called Mark. His name was Mark Meisner. Mark used to work with me at WTMJ and Mark knew my ability and Mark went to Michael Keck and said, Hey, I, I think we can bring him here and do something with him. And at the time, Tom Parker was the program director there. And Tom was my former uh, program, program director at WTMJ. And Tom, I had called Tom and I said, Tom, I think I'm going to leave TMJ. And he said, there's no way. And I said, yeah, I think I'm going to. And he said, well, if you do, before you talk to anybody, talk to us. And so we did. And uh, within about 30 days, um, I, cause I went away and relaxed. I've been working steady and hard for about 12 years. So I went away and relaxed for about a month and then let all the lawyers kind of hash it out. And then I started the network at WSSP and we were, we had signed a deal within about 30 days. And in 90 days, we were back on the air. We went on the air August 1st of 2011. And that was a great run. It was a lot of fun. We built a hell of a network. Uh, and then things changed. Things got very corporate. Things got, things became very different. And it wasn't really what I liked. It wasn't um, the atmosphere that I kind of wanted to be in at the time. And it, you know what? There was a lot going on. Last year, I got divorced. Um, my ex-wife was doing everything she could to, you know, kind of torpedo me. And I just had kind of, I wanted to walk away for a little bit. I just kind of had enough. There was a lot being said. And I thought rather than running around and trying to spend all your energy putting out fires, um, you know, people that know me, know me, and they know, you know, everything that's out there is, is BS, but I just thought, you know what, I'll get away for a little bit. And so I left SSP in the beginning of January. And I really was, I, I was, I started my own company at that time. And I thought I was just going to do podcasts. I was just going to get into the podcasting business, sell it myself. And I have enough of a name that I could probably do that and make money at it. And then, uh, there was all my individual stations from my previous network started calling. And they said, hey, we'd really like you to come back. Can you come to work for just us? And 
I thought about it and, and most of them without sounding arrogant, they couldn't afford me. They couldn't afford what I was doing. And so, and I didn't really want to move. I had just moved into a new house that I really, really loved. And I had my two dogs and I just wanted to stay here. So uh, I kind of turned everybody down. And then there's a company called Midwest Family out of, based out of Madison, but they have different companies all over the state and different stations. And they said, well, what if we paid you and we just took your network back? And I said, well, you know, if we can do that, I'd love to do that. And, you know, let me know when. And they said, well, yesterday, you know, and I wasn't really ready to come back. So I, you know, they kind of said, what would it take to get you back? And so I wrote down a bunch of things that I would like. And if I could do things differently, this is the way I would do it. And God loving the uh, president of the company, um, Tom Walker, sent me a text the next day that said, okay, what's next? I, so I sent him a text saying, well, I guess I'm back. And that's how it happened. And so I made phone calls and I drove around the state and I talked to all the program directors of my old affiliates. And I said, if you guys still want to have me, I, I think we can do this. And within probably 20 days, we had put it together and we were on the air three weeks later. And, and, you know, now we've grown it. I think, like I said, to about 11 stations, 10, 11 stations. And we got four more that we know are in the pipeline and we're ready to go with them here in the next three to six weeks. And so we're, we're doing really, really well, but it, the fun thing is it's, it's back to doing fun radio again. It's, it's kind of doing it the way I want to do it. I'm my own company. They pay me, but I'm my own company. Um, I, I do, I built a studio. I spent, you know, I don't know how much money, but I built a studio within my home. Uh, I can take my system anywhere and do the show. So we've got now a new big unit cruiser, uh, compliments of Cunis RV. We've got the ability to go anywhere and everywhere. Quick trips back on board. All of my major sponsors came back. So, you know, it's, it's, this is great. It's like I never left and it's, oh, by the way, it's all run by me and it's better. So I can't complain as to, to kind of how I ended up. I guess, are there any similarities or differences between um, your old show and obviously this show and obviously there's a lot of it that you know you're doing it on on radio but you're also kind of doing it you know youtube facebook live twitch that, that's different things. yeah that's different i mean the fact that we do we have sponsored video now um is different because i run all that myself and the funny thing is is i that the hiring right now is so bad um and we usually use interns i we can't even get interns to come to the house to do the audio video for the show, um, to run the show. Now I've got producers that run the show out in Madison and lacrosse, but it's, it, so I'm running everything. I had to learn all this all over myself. You know, I had to go and take classes online on how to do, you know, the YouTube stuff on how to do the Twitch. And we're on, we're on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, and Twitter, uh, or YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and, and, and Periscope. Those are the four platforms we're on. And we have almost 40,000 people that follow us, which is amazing. Um, so, and the subscriptions go up every day. So uh, that's really cool, but I got to run it all myself. I got to kind of run it myself. Um, you know, we're, I'm still in the process because we're breaking in a new producer of booking it myself. Um, but also it's going back to old school radio. We want to sound big, but we want to kind of remain true to what we are. And that is really a Wisconsin-based sports talk show. So we try to deal with just that. Uh, rather than all the ancillary stuff that's national, but whatever trips the trigger is what we talk about, but it's, it's really weird running everything myself now. Um, I guess I was going to throw in, like, is it, you still have the same guest every once in a while? I know that like 
when some of the uh, Wisconsin area colleges, if they won a national title, do you try to get them on? Yeah, yeah. We still do the same thing. We still have the same people. Um, the difference is we don't have as big of a budget to pay regulars, okay. but we still get, you know, just through, you know, notoriety in the name and that I've been around a long time, we still get a lot of the same people. Adam McCalvey's been on. Um, we've had Seth Everett on. We've had Andrew Brandt on. We've had Ron Wolf on. We've, you know, all the people that I know. And then obviously nationally, we're just kind of getting back into the mix. Um, but, you know, and the funny thing is, is we got people coming to us. Uh, just uh, yesterday or two days ago, Helio Castro Neves, uh, the IndyCar driver, three-time IndyCar, IndyCar champion, uh, called out of the blue and said he'd love to come on and talk IndyCar. And they're coming back to Road America. So, and I just had a call today from Jimmy Johnson's people, and that NASCAR and IndyCar obviously are running this year. So, Jimmy Johnson wants to come on the program. So, it's it's really weird that we're it's the notoriety for the show, the the, the reach of the show is a little bit less. But the notoriety for the show via the, the, the on-camera stuff has risen through the roof. And we got a lot of people that follow us nationally now. So it's, it's really pretty cool the way things have kind of transpired. I was going to randomly throw in that I don't know if you knew that uh, Carthage College's men's volleyball team won a national championship. I heard that. Last month. So I didn't know if you attempted to get the head coach on your show I, at all. I haven't yet, but I, I, I've heard that. We, did, we were following even when, like, the Badgers – Hockey team was going through the, the final four. The women's volleyball team was going for a national title. We were, we were trying to cover all that stuff. So, yeah, I didn't know that, though. I mean, I heard it, but we didn't try to get them on. Maybe we will. Okay. Yeah, I had them on my podcast, and, like, it was right after they won. My brother went to Carthage. Obviously, I went to Whitewater, but I was just, like, yeah. I wanted to kind of give them some some pub since they won the Natty. So I was Well, we had Lance Leipold on, the former coach at UW-Whitewater, because he got the job at Kansas. Yeah, I'm going to get to that in a sec. Um, so what has changed the most on air for you since we've been in this pandemic? Um, I think just the fact that I'm working at home. You know, I mean, it's that's the biggest thing is just just doing the show at home, um, which has been great. Uh, like I said, I went through uh, a really bad stretch from the beginning of last year. I filed for divorce. I got divorced. My dogs got sick. My dad got sick. My dad came to live with me. Uh, for a long stretch. So it, it was, you know, I was just glad I was home every day uh, rather than going to work or traveling. And, and that's the one thing is now things are opening back up. So starting in June, really the end of the month here next week, things really began to ramp up. There's appearances that are scheduled. So, you know, a week from uh, a week from Saturday, I'm doing the honor ride uh, out of Wisconsin, Harley Davidson. And then after that, we go on the road. We've got some cigar dinners again, golf outings again. IndyCar, NASCAR. Um, we're going to Sturgis this year and doing the broadcast with Jesse James from the band Jackal, who's got a bar out at Sturgis. So we're going to do the motorcycle ride out there with a rock station. Uh, we get back and we're obviously into Packers training camp. We've got, I just uh, solidified yesterday our spot at State Fair. So we're going to be back at State Fair again this year because they're going to open up. So we're doing a run at State Fair. Um, we're doing our, our Bill Michaels huddles again this year with guests. So I mean, we're we're open. Uh, we're open for business. So I'm back out on the road. I'm back traveling a lot. I'm, I'm, but the difference is, since we're based in Madison, La Crosse, and Milwaukee, we're doing appearances in all three often. So there's a lot of get off the air at two. You got a dinner at five in La Crosse. Then you got to be back the next day, you know, here at the house to do the show. And then you're doing a meeting with a sales group downtown Milwaukee. You know, I mean, there's a lot going on between now and, say, the end of summer. And then, obviously, we're going to be traveling again for Packers, hopefully soon. 
obviously, as we talk about the Packers, what were your, what have been your thoughts on the, I hate to use the word saga again, but the Aaron, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers saga that kind of spurted before the draft of him wanting out of Green Bay, then him making like the Jerry Krause comment thing on Gutekunst, wanting Gutekunst fired. Then there's the whole thing about Jake Kumaro. Well, the whole bottom line thing is this, is that you've got Aaron Rodgers who had little things built up over the years, and I understand that. But if the rumor is true that at the end of the season, he went after the NFC Championship game, he went to management and said, I want a long-term deal. I just want security. I want to know that I'm not going to have Jordan Love breathing down my neck and you're not getting ready to get rid of me. I want to stay here. I want to retire a Packer. I want to win. He, I mean, he told me two years ago or three years ago, he wants to win at least another Super Bowl, if not two more, because he wants to be the most decorated in the Super Bowl era champion quarterback in Green Bay Packer history. And that's what he wants. So I, he, this is a guy that was fighting, was fighting to stay here. And instead, they said, we'll pay you more money, but we're not going to extend you really as long as you want. We'll give you a year as opposed to the three or four that he wanted. And I think finally he just said, you know what? I just come off an MVP. To hell with you. You've you've done nothing but in some way, shape or form disrespect me, at least in his mind. And you don't talk to me. You don't want to have communication with me. You don't want to take any suggestions. You want to treat me like just another piece of meat. So to hell with you. I'll just be another piece of meat. Trade me. Get me out of here. Whatever, you know. So to me, it's a guy that fought to stay. And then the organization kind of handled it poorly. And look, the guy is... Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl. He's 44. Aaron Rodgers is 37. He's going to be 38, three quarters of the way through this season. So why not give the guy five years, six years, guaranteed, here you go. You're not going to be looking over your shoulder for the Jordan Love thing to happen anytime soon. Maybe Jordan Love's going to turn out to be a great quarterback, but maybe the timing of drafting him was a mistake. We can admit that. And let's just move on. Because you know Aaron Rodgers, even if his ability starts to falter a little bit, his mind is better than almost anybody that's played the game, short of maybe Peyton Manning. Just give the guy what he wants and move on. But the way the, the front office has handled this has been, in my opinion, rather poor. Now, it doesn't forgive Aaron Rodgers being somewhat, you know, I, I guess if you want to call it petulant, if you want to call it kind of a diva, okay, I get it. But ultimately, this guy's done nothing but win. And even though he's one in four in championship games, He's won one and won you a Super Bowl. This past game, yeah, you can look at it and say he should have never thrown three straight times to Devontae Adams. He probably could have ran the ball into the end zone, if not made it fourth and fourth and goal from the one or the two. And he threw the pick. Yeah, I agree with that. But a couple of years ago in San Francisco, that defense sucked. They couldn't stop Mostert to save their life. They couldn't get off the field. The A uh, couple of times before that, go back to 2014 in the infamous Bostic game. Had Bostic not caught the football or tried to catch the football, they'd have won that game. Clay Matthews pulls himself out at a most inopportune moment. Micah Hyde doesn't know where to be on a, on a two-point conversion. Uh, you got Julius Peppers telling Morgan Burnett to go down. I mean, that wasn't Aaron Rodgers' fault. And the play calling got conservative in the third quarter. So that wasn't Rodgers' fault. And then the other game in which he got them to the NFC Championship game against Atlanta, they had no business being there. They were a bad football team, and he willed them with a Jared Cook catch and a Mason Crosby field goal to an NFC Championship game. If anything, he should have been applauded for what he did in the postseason. So every circumstance is different. The guy's still a hell of a player, and I would put my money on him any day of the week. So do you think he's going to be back come 
like once we get training camp or once we get the regular season? I, what's your kind of percent? I said 70% of me says he's gone. I mean, we know that Aaron Rodgers, once he hold, holds a grudge, he really doesn't give it up. But I think just listening to James Jones and A.J. Hawk and, and John Kuhn and, and some of the words coming out of Green Bay, and now there's a lot of rumors that, you know, he really wants to stay, but, you know, he's just mad. We'll see. I mean, who knows what effect there is with, you know, John Elway playing golf with, with him or anything like that. Maybe John Elway's really selling it. But um, the Packers only have limited options to trade him away with only so much capital you're going to get in return. So if I'm the Packers, I do anything and everything I can to make the guy happy. And, you know, Matt LaFleur sounded like he was going to cry at the podium the other day. So I still think that there's a chance he comes back. But if I had to put a percentage on it, 70% of me says he's probably gone. But I still I, – that, that 30% of me is coming from the heart, and I hope he's back. Yeah, I hate thinking that he's going to – if he's going to be gone because he, it feels like history is repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much. Um, let's hit on the NFL draft a little bit. Um, what surprised you about the NFL draft? Um, and I guess any disappointments. And then how did you uh, think of the Packers draft this year, even though it was probably a little – from a little bit of a way with all this Aaron Rodgers stuff coming out. You didn't I really the know draft, where they yeah. were going to go. I thought the draft for the Packers was good. I, I, you know, we can't tell for a year or two down the road, but I thought the draft was good. I think, you know, for those that say that they needed to get a wide receiver to appease Eric, no, you, what you needed to get was better. You needed another guy that was going to be another lockdown corner. You needed a, a more beef up front to help out Kenny Clark, Kenny Clark, what you got in a wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, the guy's got tremendous speed. He's better out of the slot. You put him, if Marquez Valdez scaling continues to progress, you've got two guys that are four, three guys that can run like the wind. And then you put them alongside Devontae Adams. You've got something, you've still got a very potent offense. So I think they, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. I think the, the biggest, um, I don't know if you want to call it a surprise, but was the fact that the bears yet again, went after a quarterback. Um, I've never been a big fan of Justin Fields. I think he's kind of slow in his delivery, even though his completion percentage has been pretty high at Ohio state. You know, you only got two or three teams in college football that are really going to press you. And even Indiana made him work for it. And that does not bode well for him in the NFL, where he's got to face teams that are better than that each and every week. So his decision-making between his brain and his arm has to get at least a second quicker for him to be effective in the NFL. However, he can run the football. Now, I don't know if Matt Nagy's the guy to bring him along because Matt Nagy's always tried to be the smartest guy in the room. And he tends to be the dumbest at times because of his own obstinance. But uh, between Justin Field and Andy Dalton, I, they got a pretty good defense down there in, in Chicago. I, I think Chicago is going to be a better team than what a lot of people are giving them credit for. And they went out, they needed offensive line help. They got two tackles. So I, I think they're going to be better than what most people give them credit for. Uh, I like what the Bears did. I really like the fact that very quietly uh, the Vikings are flying under the radar and they're just kind of rebuilding some of that defense. They got some protection up front, front for Kirk Cousins, and they've already got a really a good set of weapons with Dalvin Cook and obviously Justin Jefferson and company from last year. So they've got some solid wide receivers that now they just need to bolster that defense a little and they'll be right back in it. Detroit is Detroit. Detroit is still in somewhat of a rebuild mode. I like what they did, but I'm not looking at that team as being a team that's going to really kind of press the Packers or anybody else for the top spot. But I had Hub Arkashan today from Pro Football Weekly and Hub said, if Rodgers doesn't come back, he's never been a Jordan Love fan. 
he says the Packers are a 500 team at best. And we know in today's day and age, you're not going to be a 500 team. You're going to be a game over or a game below. So I'm going to say on the game below side with Jordan Love as a quarterback. So we'll see. But, uh, you know, no big surprises in this draft. I think, you know, the talent was there. Um, but, you know, again, the fact that San Francisco made the call the night before to say, hey, what if we would trade, uh, you know, our third overall pick and some additional players and Garoppolo and, and some future picks for Aaron Rodgers. And it was met with a, a swift no from the Green Bay Packers. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers was willing to make that move, that's what sparked all of this to where we are today. Four weeks ago today is when the Adam Schefter report came out. Paul Allen's report came out. My accentuating Paul Allen's report came out. And the world blew up sports-wise in Green Bay as we know it. So um, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I like what the Packers did in the draft. Or are we talking about Blake Bortles being the quarterback if Jordan Love isn't ready? Or where do you – Well, look at it this way. If you drafted a first-round quarterback and you traded up to get him, he sat behind the Hall of Famer and an MVP for an entire season. And now if you go into training camp and you give him the starters reps – and not only training camp, but in preseason, and he's still not ready, then you made a mistake. I mean, he's a first he's a first round quarterback, right? You drafted up, you traded up to get him, right? So if he's not ready after his second year, then you made a mistake. Um, I guess with the NFL schedule coming out coming out not not that long ago, um, what 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 are the games that you're kind of looking forward to in terms of the schedule and Well, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm looking forward in many ways. First of all, I'm looking forward to, to the Packers. There's a couple of ske- you know, scheduling things that the Packers have. I'm looking forward to Tom Brady returning home to New England. That's going to be a highlight week, without a doubt. Um, but, you know, obviously when uh, um, the Packers go to Cincinnati, it's where I'm from. So I'm looking forward to that return home. The Packers, in my two visits back to Cincinnati since I've come here, have not won a game. That was the Eddie Lacy game that he was coming back from injury with Aaron Rodgers, and and then uh, they ended up getting by, they ended up getting beat, uh, and then there was the game in which Brett Favre had the football stolen from him, if you remember, when yep. a fan jumped on the field and took the football from him. So I'm looking forward to going back to Cincinnati to see if they can actually get a win. Uh, and I, I I like their schedule. I like the, the fact that they're going to Kansas City. Uh, I like the fact that they're going to be taking on Pittsburgh. I, I I really like their schedule the way it lays out because they're playing quality opponents, but. I think we look at big games today and we circle certain dates, but we all know that teams that won last year don't necessarily win this year. And we also know that teams that had no business coming anywhere near the playoffs last year, there's always a team or two that leap up and grab you. And suddenly they get real good real fast. So uh, as the season goes on, we'll start to circle some of those bigger games down the road. All right. So one of the other things that um, was great about the NFL draft, particularly day two, um, was how big of a day it was kind of for UW-Whitewater. Um, so starting, obviously we knew Quinn Myers was going to get drafted, but to wake up that morning and hear the news of Lance taking the job at, at uh, Kansas, obviously we both interviewed him, we both know him personally. What was just kind of starting the first half of it, um, what were your kind of thoughts on um, Lance taking the job at Kansas? Good for him. Uh, you know, I mean, the fact that uh, he's turned every program into something that he's been, I mean, obviously he's had success at UW-Whitewater. Uh, he did uh, some terrific things at Buffalo, and you knew he would. Uh, but now he's going to the Big 12. And if he does well there and recruits well there, then it's good to say we knew him when. 
because he's going to get a lot of accolades and a lot more. I mean, even at Kansas, Kansas being a good job, but if let's just say he does well at Kansas, we know that that's a stepping stone to a bigger program. You know, Kansas is a mid-level program in the Big 12 football-wise. So if he does well at Kansas, you're looking at possibly moving up to the likes of an Alabama, an Oklahoma, an Ohio State, uh, a Michigan. Uh, you know, that's the kind of realm you begin to talk. USC, Notre Dame. I mean, when those big jobs come due, if he has success at Kansas in the Big 12, then he's going to get the phone call. And he's going to be become an even bigger name in the world of coaching when it comes to college football. So I'm excited for him. So I, I hope he does extremely well. But the fact that Miners, uh, he ends up in the in the NFL and had a lot of accolades and obviously videotapes of his workout in the woods and all that kind of stuff. That's great. It brings great recognition. And the fact that you figure at some point or another, he's going to return home, which is going to bring even more accolades to UW-Whitewater, D3. I mean, everybody benefits fits from it. Platteville, Oshkosh, Lacrosse, uh, La Eau Claire, all of them will be able to say, this was a guy that played here at these stadiums. This was a guy that came off of these fields. So he's going to get more and more notoriety and he's going to bring more and more attention to D3 football. And I think that's tremendous because we know what a hotbed it is here in the state of Wisconsin and the surrounding areas. But now the rest of the world is going to find out. Um, I was going to kind of add in, would we ever dare say if like somehow Paul Chris left Wisconsin for Lance to kind of be in consideration for that or is that I too think, much of a stretch? Yeah, I think that's Jim Leonard's job. I think that's one of the reasons Jim Leonard didn't go to the pros and didn't go to take on the Packers job because he knows he's got a really good thing at Wisconsin and he's also a fan favorite. He's also a Barry favorite. He's a Paul Chris favorite. That if Paul Chris ever decided to say, hey, enough's enough, I think Jim Leonard's going to take over that program. Okay. Um, were you surprised where Miners went? Obviously, was to the Broncos or no? I, I, you know, it's it's first of all they look at cold weather people for offensive linemen. So the fact that he went there, I mean, he's accustomed to playing in cold weather here. So they got exactly what they wanted. The Broncos, the Packers, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Bills, Cleveland. Those are teams that look for those cold weather guys that have been there and done that in this kind of climate. And so, no, it didn't surprise me at all. I was, I was glad it was, it was a, it was a really cool moment. And I think we're all going to become, hopefully we're not becoming Broncos fans because of Aaron Rodgers. Hopefully we're just staying Broncos fans because we're looking over the fence to see what the local kid on the offensive line can do. Um, I guess what was your kind of thoughts on how you did it at that senior bowl? And obviously there's the videos of him working out in Canada and, right. and obviously the pro day. The senior ball is, oh, uh, I didn't really get a chance to see him that much, but I talked to Dan Shanka from our lad scouting service who really liked him. The big thing that they were impressed with is not only his physical attributes and the fact that he could push guys around, but the fact that he's coming out of a, a D3 school and he didn't act like a D3 kid. Um, you know, that's, that's the biggest benefit is that he came in with a head on his shoulders, knowing what he had to do and being more than willing to do it. He's kind of that workout warrior type of guy. And that impressed a lot of coaches and a lot of scouts. So the senior bowl was a place where people got to know him. And when they walked away from getting to know him, you could already see what he did, but the fact that what he did with the senior bowl, what he did in his workouts backed up what they saw out of the tape at UW Whitewater. And the fact that he's got a mind to go along with it and he doesn't act like a D3 kid really went a long way. Um, I guess let's kind of shift to some Brewers and Bucks talk. Obviously, the starting pitching has been one of the biggest things for the Brewers this year. Um, they've gone through their kind of injury spells with obviously Yelich is back now, Juan's back now, and Kane. 
Um, what are your um, early thoughts on the Brewers so far through basically a month and a half? Well, they stink. <laughs> For lack of a better term, their offense sucks. It's terrible. And I know I had Brian Anderson on today and, you know, he, you know, they, the broadcasters, the reporters, everybody, you can't be down in the dugout. You can't be on the field and such because of COVID. So you can't get a feel for what's going on, but there's something innately wrong. And it's not, you know, 40 games or 43 games that they played. It's, it's 103. Their offense stunk last year. It was bad, but they didn't seem to fall apart as fast as they have this season. And I maybe equate a little bit of that to the leadership that was in that clubhouse then. And I don't, you can't sabermetrically put a number on it, but I think they miss Ryan Braun. When you stood in that locker room or in that clubhouse, uh, even going back to last year before they shut it down, when I was down there, when Braun and Yelich were together, it was there was this aura about the clubhouse that that the leaders, the kings were there. And Yelich is not real outspoken. He's a quiet guy. He's a little quirky guy. I mean, if, if he wasn't a baseball player, he'd be a nerd. You know, he's kind of that guy. And so guys did not he's not a guy that you gravitate to other than for his fame. So he's not that kind of a leader. So I wonder who's the leader in that, you know, Lorenzo Cain, you can say to a certain extent, but he also bailed on them last year and maybe he lost some credibility. Uh, Colton Wong, he's new to the team. It's hard to come in and be the leader and new to the team. Narvaez, uh, Travis Shaw, Vogelbach, uh, you know, who's the leader? Who's the guy that's grabbing guys going, Hey, look, you got to relax. You got to take it from me. This is what you need to do. And guys are going to listen to, because I, I don't think you have that. And then Andy Haynes, uh, as much as he's a likable guy in person, he's a guy that's lost clubhouses reportedly before. So who's, who's leading that team offensively right now? The pitching has been lights out and outstanding. Uh, there's, there's nothing you can say, no adjective or superlative that's going to describe this pitching staff any better than what it's already been described as. It's a phenomenal year. And we've been waiting a long time for homegrown pitching talent to kind of have the cream rise to the top and be really, really good. But when you've got a team that can't bunt, they can't hit behind runners, they strike out at a, almost a record pace, they can't put the ball in play, they swing for the fences, and in a dead ball era, they're still swinging for the fences. This offense sucks, and it's a damn shame that they're wasting all of this good pitching right now for an offense that's inept. So to me, at this point in time, I give it through the Red Series. Go to, go to Cincinnati and Great America Ballpark. It's a bandbox and see if you can hit home runs. But if you can't and you're falling short because we're living in a dead, a, a new era, a dead ball era now where no hitters are becoming supreme because a lot of these balls are going to the cavernous ballparks and dying, then you've got to change things. And I think it starts with Andy Haynes. And when they come back to Milwaukee, you're either going to have a team that's finally starting to hit the ball or a team that's still mired in this you know year and a half slump and therefore needs to make a change with their hitting coach and, and some new voice needs to be heard. All right, let's shift to the Bucks. Um, obviously, um, postseason starts on Saturday. Um, they're the three C going up against um, the Miami Heat. Um, where where do you see them? How far do you think they go this year? Do you know can they finally get to kind of the NBA Finals, or do you see they're the 76ers or the the Nets getting in the way? I you know what? It's weird because I feel there's something in my gut that tells me they can end up in the finals and they could win it all. Uh, and then there's trepidation that says they could get bounced in the first round. I, I, I just, I think we don't know because of the ugliness that was the bubble last year. Um, but I think the difference is Drew Holiday and his ability to one, be better in the postseason. He's going to take it. You know, if you look at his postseason numbers compared to his regular season numbers, they get even better 
when the lights shine the brightest. Whereas Drew Bledsoe or Drew Bledsoe, uh, uh, Eric Bledsoe faded away in the postseason. So you look at him, you look at Portis, you look at DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo is going to get a lot of opportunities. And if he's hitting, if Portis is hitting, you, you know, you start to look at these guys, these, these role players, Brooke Lopez. If these guys can start hitting and not put the onus on Giannis, then I think you're going to go a really long way. Obviously, you've got some injuries to nurse right now. P.J. Tucker, don't forget, you've got two guys in Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker who are very good lockdown defenders. And if P.J. Tucker gives you any offense, comes off the bench, gives you a couple of threes, gives you a little bit of points and gives you some block shots and some really good defense, it wouldn't surprise me if this team rolls through um, rolls through Miami and rolls themselves through another, a couple more series right into the Eastern Conference Finals. And then – it's going to come down to whether or not Brooklyn is healthy. If Brooklyn is healthy, they're a tough team to beat, and that's where they're going to really – the Bucks are really going to earn their stripes. If Brooklyn's not healthy, and they haven't been pretty much all together all season long, if Brooklyn's not healthy and they sustain a few injuries, then I can see them, I can see them going right past Joel Embiid and company and Philadelphia, who I don't really fear. I can see them getting past Philadelphia and getting right into the NBA Finals. How can uh, this year's Bucks playoff teams be different than the last two years where you've kind of seen that wall that um, like Toronto used and, my, and Miami and Orlando used? Um, how can this um, playoffs be different and how can they counter kind of get in maybe so you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I look at it this way. The, the role players have to hit. Uh, they have to create because Giannis can't do it himself. Everybody's going to try to stymie Giannis, and if they can, uh, then it's going to be up to everybody else to do their job. And if they can't, then the Bucks are going to falter. That's why I look at it and say it's easy to say they can win a lot of games because I could believe I believe they can. If if Middleton steps up, Lopez steps up, if if those guys hit their shots, and then you go with a guy like DiVincenzo and company and, and Portis, and you go through that whole list, they're gonna they're gonna win and they're gonna win easy. But if if it's all on Giannis and everybody else is getting tight around him, then it's going to be a long postseason and most likely a long offseason as well. All right, but don't forget, I mean, defensively speaking, they have mixed it up. They have gotten more creative. I mean, Giannis has taken the better defense. I mean, he, most likely he's going to be on Jimmy Butler, him or Drew Holiday, one of those two guys. So if you can shut down a guy like Butler, if you can do it in a good rotation, if you can do it with small lineups and big lineups and play different ways, which is what Budenholzer has been tinkering with, and because the knock on him has been he doesn't make adjustments either fast enough or in, in enough of a, uh, a change-up mode, then he, that's the reason he's been bounced the last couple of years. Well, this year he's actually tinkered with the lineup more. He's actually changed defenders more. He's actually changed the way they play defense more. So if he can continue to do that, and this team over the last five to seven games really get into a rhythm and a, and a good uh, rotation, then I think they're going to be okay. But if they can't, then they're going to get bounced. All right. I'm going to end this with um, with kind of this discussion. So we talked about kind of favorite sports moments from, from you growing up. But let's just kind of talk about like maybe it can be both of us here. Um, favorite sports moments that you've that you've seen, like from either you just gone to the game or you covered it. Um, boy, there's a lot. Um, I can remember growing up and coming up here in in '90 um, and and seeing the Reds, you know, play the Brewers uh, years back. Before I was working here, I can talk about AHL championships, NHL championships that I've had a chance to go to and see. Uh, but locally speaking, I, I think um, probably the first time I really experienced any kind of big success was 
Um, watching Dick Bennett play in the Final Four down in Indianapolis, that was an incredible experience and being a part of all of that and going there with CBS Sports. And, and it was funny because I woke up one morning, I heard somebody screaming and yelling and realized it was Dick Vitale in the room next to me at the hotel. And he was doing his morning spiel and, and you know, and he's on the phone. But it was and Bonnie Bernstein was across the hall from me because there was a lot of people from CBS and ESPN that were up there. And so um, we were in the hallway laughing because we could hear Dick Vitale screaming in the room next to us. So that was a cool experience, even though they ended up getting beat uh, in, in that uh, in that final four. Um, I can remember vividly going to the Eastern Conference fly, Finals and flying with the Bucks uh, on the team charter back and forth and sitting with the guys, sitting with Sam, Sam Cassell on the back of the plane, talking strategies, Ray Allen, the same thing, and and ultimately watching that team fall just a, you know, a Glenn Robinson jumper short of going to the NBA Finals and facing Shaq and Kobe that year. Um, I can I can remember, uh, like it was yesterday, standing on the floor uh, and on the field at AT&T Stadium and, and, you know, watching the confetti fall. And Ron Wolf, you know, as I'm trying to film it, Ron Wolf coming over and hugging me and knocking the phone out of my hands uh, as the, the confetti was flying and the Packers had just won a Super Bowl. I can remember, you know, walking from, from uh, the press box over to uh, the actual broadcast booth down at Soldier Field uh, as B.J. Raji uh, made the interception, goes into the end zone, and that pretty much sealed the deal. And Glenn uh, – or not Glenn, but um, – the engineer, Glenn Bowman, was uh, with uh, WTMJ at the time, and he's texting me saying, my God, we're going to the Super Bowl. Can you believe it? And getting that text, uh, it just – there's so many cool moments. I can remember the night before uh, down in Chicago taking the stage and introducing uh, Neil Diamond, uh, who they brought to the House of Blues special for the NFC Championship weekend, and him doing the Sweet Caroline thing, and then when he's talking Packers and Bears and all the – excuse me, all the Bears fans screaming and yelling because I was introducing Neil Diamond and I was wearing my Packers pullover and they were throwing beer bottles at me, the aluminum cans. So uh, there's a, just a lot of cool moments that I've had a chance to be a part of that you wouldn't trade for the world and, and, and you're just so blessed and glad to do what you do for a living. Um, I forgot to add this in there. Um, obviously, you've had several interviews with Brett Favre. Um, what's your favorite kind of uh, moment with Favre? Oh, boy. I, I tell you what, I've done so much with him when he was a player. Um, when they retired his number, I got to sit on stage with him uh, up in Green Bay at the convention center. And we did a one-on-one -on -one for an hour and just shared stories. And I think that was the neatest because I got a chance to work with his dad. And his dad was on the postgame show with us. As a matter of fact, when uh, Irv passed away, um, Bonita had called uh, one of the you know, close friends up here that was Irv's close friend to say, to get in touch with me, to let us break the story that Irv had passed away. So you go as, um, as a friend and somebody that got to know Irv really, really well and care for him. And you, 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 you weep for him. And then you got to gather yourself and go on the air and break the news that Irv Favre has passed away. And that now Brett's got to make a decision as to whether or not to play out in Oakland that night it, it was just it was so surreal that whole weekend and then to kind of relive that and share it with Brett all over again and then when I got Brett on um a couple of years after that uh, I had him on my show after he had retired and he had not really come back and talked to anybody in Wisconsin but I had asked him I said if your dad was alive would you have ended up playing for the Vikings because I knew Irv and Irv would have hated it and he said he probably would have, but, as, but, but he said to me on the air that, yeah, but dad loved doing the show with you. He probably would have stayed in Green Bay. 
So to have Brett acknowledge that his dad really enjoyed working with myself and Bar Brian Noble at the time was, was really, really cool too. So we've had a lot of good moments together and that was one of them. I'm going to throw my favorite sports moments in there because there's a lot of, there's some good whitewater sports moments. Um, obviously being around the football uh team since when I was a freshman in 2010 I was in the marching band that year but um, the two mo moments for me are the Cordell Young game winner in Salem Virginia that I saw yeah. live um, but then I get I've often debated what what's the best game I've been to and like Hughes game winner is great but the Mary Merg two buzzer beater game with White Waters women's team down by 12 um, probably takes the cake because I'm never going to see that again. So, right. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. The, uh, the stories that you get a chance to gather doing this and doing this business along the way and the moments that you get a chance to be a part of heartbreak and ex just unexalted jubilation. I go back to even, uh, you know, go to whitewater, go to UWM when UWM and Bruce Pearl, when they won the horizon league tournament, they find themselves in the tournament. And then we get a chance to follow them when they won that, um, Sandy Botham, who was the women's basketball coach was sitting right behind me. And when they hit the, hit the buzzer and UWM was the champion and nobody expected that Bruce Pearl had taken them to a championship. She came diving over, uh, at down at the, uh, the U S cellular center. She came diving over the hockey, you know, railing and landed on me and broke the chair. We took it both out. We were laying on the ground, Ugh, you know, I'm trying to like, get your big ass up. And. So uh, we ended up going out and celebrating in the middle of the court with everybody else and then hanging out with Bruce Pearl later that night over at Goolsby's was really cool, too. But, you know, and obviously what Bo Ryan did, the final four and beating Kentucky, uh, you know, it was was tremendous. Uh, so the, there's been a lot of terrific moments. Uh, you know, go to Tom Crean, Tom Crean going to the final four as well. And because uh, when I came to town, uh, I came to town the same year that Ray Rhodes did, Wayne Larravee did, Bo Ryan did, Tom Crean did. We all came to town the same, the same, pretty much the same week almost. So it was, uh, it was, it was really, really exciting to be a part of that changeover in Wisconsin sports. I'd say the the Cordell Young thing's a little bit cooler now that um, Duncan Robinson, right. Duncan Robinson's in the NBA now, and the fact that we beat him his freshman year is is that much cooler. But um, yep. Any, anyways, Bill, thanks for taking some time. Um, if you ever need help with your show, hey, feel free to hit me up. All right, buddy. Um, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Anytime. Talk to you soon. All right. See ya. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Podcasts on D-Shot. Feel free to give any of the other episodes a listen, as a lot of them have some great, exciting content as well as some great interviews don't forget to give my facebook page a like daniel shotler journalist as well as give me a follow on twitter or instagram at dshot1992 don't forget to subscribe if you're on google podcast or spotify or apple podcast wherever you can find this and hope you enjoyed it thanks for listening and have a good day